Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Backstage Podcast. If you don't know what local leadership is or what heroes look like these days during this pandemic, this is the episode for you. I met Joanne Jete back in 2007 while she was an engaged and pivotal member of the personnel at PYO or the Park Extension Youth Organization. I witnessed her involvement in the community and her passion for the development of various programs aimed at youth engagement and social and community development. I couldn't be happier when I learned not long ago of her well-deserved promotion to director of the organization. On this episode, we talk about her journey through PYO from the very first day she was hired all the way to the crucial work conducted on the ground and on the front lines every single day during these very trying times that we are all living in. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. I, I appreciate it. And I know that you are a very busy woman, and uh, I really appreciate the fact that you uh, that you accepted to come on. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I don't remember if I I, I, I had seen you uh, since you became uh, the the director of PYO. I, I can't remember. So uh, I know it's very late, but congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. It's better much much later than never. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I love the fact that you, uh, that you accept to do this because initially, you know, the podcast, I've had different people on the podcast, but essentially it was, it was thought of and designed to have people like you on, uh, on, the, on the episodes because, uh, you know, the idea is to showcase people that work behind the scenes, whether it's in community organizations or whether it's in business or, you know, whatever field or industry they're in. Uh, and to highlight the fact that, you know, there's people that exist that do phenomenal work. People don't necessarily know them or see them, but they're there. They work hard and uh, they should be uh, acknowledged. So this is exactly uh, the reason why I did this podcast and the fact that you're here. Uh, you know, I'm really grateful for it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, tell me a little bit about, because, you know, we're gonna, we're, obviously we're going to go through everything that you do. And, uh, you know, that you're there. You're the director of you know an amazing organization that I happen to work with very closely um, uh, during the time that you know I was in politics, and that's mm -hmm. where we met, obviously. Uh, so we both kind of served the residents of Park Extension at different capacities. Uh, how does this all fit in with you? I mean, we're, are you from Park X? No, I am not. I'm not even from Montreal. What? No, I grew up South Shore, North Shore. Um, I guess. Uh, most of my life was in Bellefeuille, which is near Saint Jerome. Okay. And uh, when I was growing up there, I was the only English-speaking family there. That's funny. So, oh no! But Park X is my adopted home. Uh, that's good. Okay. So. Uh, so, how does this all come in the picture? Like, when do you come to Park X? How does this whole thing start with PYO? Because obviously, you didn't start as a director. I mean, I, I when no. I got to know you, you were just working there, and you know, you moved up, uh, and good for you. But how does this all start? Um, it started when I actually decided to go to university. and So I went to Concordia. And uh, PYO was actually just a part-time job. <laughs> it was a replacement of a maternity leave for a very short time. 
uh, and I was going to be volunteer coordinator in uh, what I thought was a very, very interesting corner of uh, Montreal. I love the ethnic diversity and um, the challenges that were there. So I think I worked in that part-time position a total of two months yeah. before they like, okay, well, we have a job for you. So I actually worked both uh, at PYO and uh, at uh, went to school, finished my okay. schooling. Yeah. It's funny how things happen sometimes, you know, like you, you don't realize how like a little job that you may think is insignificant can lead to something great. I remember, I remember it was the exact same thing how I started in politics. I wasn't supposed to stay on. You know, my, I had just come back from Greece, I remember, and, you know, uh, you know, my Jerry had just won his election, and I was supposed to just go in there and help him out, you know, just set everything up, uh, and then my plans were to leave after that summer in 2007, and 11 years later, I was, just, I was running as a candidate, <laughs> you know? It's, awesome. it's just funny how things work. Uh, yeah. so, so when did you start? How long ago was this? 2002. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, so it's been 18 in some years. Oof, 18 years. Yeah, it's changed a lot, Parkex, in 18 years. Yes, it has. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, tell me, um, okay, so let's just tell people about Park, uh, the PYO, basically. It's the Park Extension Youth Organization. Um, of course, it's an old organization. I had previously uh, Perry Calce, whom you know very okay, well. Okay, yeah, of course. Uh, the, the chairman of your board. So we went, uh, you know, a little bit in detail about Park, Parkex and PYO especially. Uh, but let's just remind people, you know, what PYO is. Okay. Well, it was founded in 1967. Yeah. So it's much older than I am. Um, and it was a grassroots organization for sports. So it started like that. It was founded by Wally Ziobro and Mike Pagano, who are still involved in the organization today. And uh, throughout the years, when ParkX's residents' needs changed, well, Our mission statement is very broad. It's just to better the life of the residents of Park Extension. So we developed different programs depending on what the needs were. So right now it does everything from food services to we have an arts and leisure uh, program that goes into the schools for children who have recently immigrated here. We have a drop-in center. We have a summer camp. Uh, we have like a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. So Uh, you know, obviously, obviously Park Extension, and, and it's still considered one of the poorest districts uh, across Canada. Um, you know, why do you think there was this need eventually to just get this sort of organization uh, started? Uh, you know, was it was it primarily just to keep kids off the streets or, you know, like what was what was the idea behind it? I think that was it at the very beginning was to get kids off the street and getting them to do something productive and learn teamwork and just find something out else to do than just hanging around. So yeah. hockey and baseball were huge in, in PYO back then. Like I remember hearing there's a thousand kids that used to play hockey uh, for PYO and baseball was another sport. And um, sports is still very much part of PYO. We still do cricket and skating and hockey development. But now instead of just doing sports for sports, we do uh, sports for um, getting kids to speak French outside of, uh, outside of school and just 
get them to know good role models and so sports and leisure is an excuse for other things right. don't tell the kids that <laughs> uh you know it's funny that you mentioned speaking French because yeah. I can imagine like in the very beginning, you know, obviously the language is spoken at home, very different from what the language is today, but regardless, it's still a ride. It's still a district where, you know, the primary language spoken at home is neither English nor French. Exactly. Exactly. And I get a lot of inspiration for having grown up in a place that was only French And I remember my first day of school going into class and the teacher was like, she said my name. So she was talking to me and I like, I have no clue what you're saying. <laughs> um, so I definitely remember that and doing homework and looking up everything in the dictionary and then having to work, look up words that were in the dictionary to understand what's being said. But the most French that I learned wasn't in school. It was doing after-school activities and just hanging out with yeah. friends. Yeah. So that's what's great about Park X is that while there's huge amount of languages, I think there's like a hundred different languages and dialects that are spoken in Park X. Well, at least the kids can all communicate in, in French. And, yeah. I, I, you know, I remember a, a while back, you know, where um, you know there was this announcement that we were that we were making. And um, it's funny because the main premise, and it was in a school, it was a school program. And it was funny because, you know, we were looking at all these, you know, these different kids and we knew that, you know, none of these kids speak French or English at home. We, we knew that, nope. right? But it was amazing to see how uh, quickly they adapted to this, you know, reality. Because not, not, a lot of the kids aren't immigrants now i mean they're born, born here now. right uh but still the reality at home is different it's like it was when i was growing up i mean it was just greek at home right so uh and it, it's just amazing to me that i was seeing all these different kids and in the back of my mind i knew that none of these kids speak french or english at home, at home. yet here they are and they kind of all coexist and it's pretty much the language that brings them all together exactly and with those language things that it's not spoken at home often these kids are the translators when they speak uh, uh, for the school or when they come for services so you have kids translating and that has essentially essentially nothing has changed since the 80s basically that's the... no exactly <laughs> exactly it's the, it's the exact same reality uh no it, it's amazing and you know you also mentioned cricket And, you know, this is something that we had no idea even existed when we were growing up in Park X, right? But, I mean, it's funny how you've adapted to this new reality because you have a large portion of the population living in Park X that are, that are South Asians. Yes. So we have a cricket league, and, well, a little in-house cricket league. And what I think is great about it is that our coach is a woman. You don't often see cricket coaches mm. oh, being yeah. women. And every year we organize a little tournament that anybody who works at PYO plays against the kids. We don't understand the game. The kids tell <laughs> us to run. We run. We're running in the wrong direction. But anyway, it's a lot of fun. But is, is this, because I remember, I remember growing up and, you know, PYO was like a central place for kids, you know, to, to, to either be involved in hockey or baseball uh, or soccer. Um, but it was much larger than PYO. I mean, it was mm -hmm. part of a, a bigger network and there were tournaments uh, and provincial tournaments and it was this huge, huge uh, deal. 
Is this the same thing with cricket? I mean, have you reached that stage yet or is it just local for the moment? We chose specifically not to become involved in the federations because there's two different federations and um, they kind of fall on political lines okay. and that's not something we want to get involved with. In. So we just do it house league. Okay. Okay. So that's fun. Yeah. Uh, do you have kids? Do you have a lot of kids? Uh, yeah, we have about 60 kids that participate uh, anywhere from six to 17 and we have some adults too that sneak in there and play. <laughs> they can't. They can't just stay on the sidelines and just <laughs> <No>. look. <laughs> we have a whole bunch of like sideline coaches too. Yeah, so. Exactly. That's a that's standard. Uh, so, so for you, when you when you came to to Montreal to study, yeah. you obviously didn't know PYO. You just found a job and. What what was your first impressions coming in? First of all, coming into Park X because you know a lot of people don't even know where Park X is. I mean, we're we're you know it's it's a district that is so enclosed from all around. Mm -hmm. Everyone kind of just drives by it because you have to because it's in the middle of Montreal, but nobody really knows that it's Park X. Uh, how was that reality for you? Um, it was a bit surreal because yeah. um, you're walking down the street and. You see Indian restaurants, you see Greek restaurants and Mama Africa with the, the hair extensions and all that. And that's not something that you saw when you grew up up north. Yeah. But uh, I think that's also what attracted me to Park X is wow. that it's just so many different cultures and for growing up in a very, very white francophone area, I, I think... Yeah, that's what I needed as a change. What, what about what about PYO? You walk into PYO the first day, like what's what's the impression? What, what, like, well, first of all, what did what was the job? What did you have to do back then? Uh, it was just coordinating volunteers. So we had a we had a huge basin of, of volunteers that would help out for all of our activities, and it was just connecting them to act to different needs and making sure that everything was okay when they went to volunteer and that they were taken care of. So. Mm -hmm. It was um, a very, uh, uh, very basic, yeah. easy job for a part-time job. And my first impression, well, Leonard Buckles was the director back then. And um, uh, <laughs> when I walked into the organization, the accountant and the assistant director and the director were playing football. They were throwing a football <laughs> in the office. So. Like it was, it was just a very active and dynamic place to work. Yeah. Uh, did you ever imagine that this was going to become what it is today, or for you, it was just look, I'm, I'm just you know going to go work, and then when I'm done, I'm done. Um. Mm, oof, that's a hard question. It was never just work, and I'm done. I'm done. I moved to Montreal because of PYO to be able to. Okay. be closer to work because that was one hell of a commute and um, while I didn't live in Park X just because I just never found a place yeah. uh, that was available um, I know Park X better than I do where I live now yeah. so I can't tell you one street over from where I live in Vicenera but I can tell you every lane in Park X and I it's my it's, they park x adopted me for sure uh 
tell me about how this happened. How did you, um, you know, how did the position open up? Like, how, were you proposed? Did you step up to the to the plate? Uh, how did this all happen for you to to get the lead role there? Um, I think every time I was like preparing to say, okay, I'm going to leave PYO because I have a new, uh, I have a calling to do something bigger and better. Uh, the director or the board uh, would offer me, no, no, stay. And one day you will be director. So um, I think the the board of directors had uh, this knowledge that it's very important to invest in your human resources. Uh, they allowed me to go back to school to do a master's degree uh, while studying uh, and all my work was done on the organization. So they they would just tell me, you stick in here and you're going to be one of the next directors. So yeah. it took a few years, but... Uh... There's a lot of things that have changed, obviously, since uh, since you got there. Uh mm-hmm. Tell, obviously, like 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 you said, I mean, it's it's kind of transformed from this sports and leisure organization to more, um, you know, more of a, a social and community based uh, uh, mission. Yes, exactly. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, I think it really goes with um, just trying to develop the best programming for the residents. And um, back in the days, I think it was very easy to start a nonprofit organization and just run it off of an Excel spreadsheet and maybe like writing a grant or two. Uh, Right now, uh, running an organization is like running a business. Um, You have to develop relationships with uh, grants, uh, funders and write grants and uh, budgets everything and um so that's how i think it's changed back now it's become very professional uh we also have our own uh, source of revenue our kitchen service that we do we have a community cafeteria we have meals on wheels but we also have a catering service and developing that service was important because that means we can re-inject that those profits into our youth programs yeah so Tell me a little bit about the youth programs. Um, mm-hmm. When did that start? Um, you know, it's interesting to me when I when I speak with people that are involved with um, in organizations that that are focused around um, youth engagement, uh, mm-hmm. and especially in Park Extension, because we know how fragile uh, that whole environment is. It was in the past. I'm not sure if it's still the case today, um, but I find it interesting that, you know, when when I meet individuals that want to focus so much attention on attracting the youth um, and engaging them, mm-hmm. uh, were you there when this whole uh, project started or, or did it exist already? Um, one of the very first mandates I got was um, the summer camp. The summer camp existed when I started to work there, but because uh, I ran a sleepover summer camp, before working at PYO um, and they wanted to uh, just revamp that program. Uh, They asked me to stay on when I was like trying to sneak off and do something else and to really take on that program. And that program is really what I see as um, one of the the most basic programs in PYO. 
because it's where we try to create a milieu de vie, as we say in French, where kids grow up. So they start in summer camp. They're usually five or six years old. And so and that's pretty straightforward. You know, we do sports, leisure activities. We do arts. We go out on outings. And so we go to La Ronde and the water slides. And that's great. But um, you can't run a summer camp with just your counselors. And we developed a program for our assistant counselors. So those are kids between three, uh, 13 and 17. So they're not uh, legally allowed to work yet. But we wanted to keep them engaged in something during the summer and uh, basically to come and learn the skills of being a counselor. So we give them little classes on how to take care of kids and first aid classes and um, things like that. And then uh, because they do such a phenomenal job and there's like about 60 of them per summer that come and, and participate in that program, uh, we give them a budget. So guys, you guys have $5,000 and you guys decide what you want as um, a little thank you. So they basically choose what activities they'd like to do them amongst themselves. So there's a, a counselor that goes with them and they choose that they want to go and do, I don't know, they've done everything from movie night uh, to going to an all-you-can-eat buffet to the water slides and things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So they basically stick around. They work until they're 16 years old, and then they get the first shot of becoming counselors. So these are, this is my basin where I go hire my counselors first. I'll never hire somebody from outside if I can get somebody that's yeah. uh, a park X kid that grew up in the organization. And um, so the, they become our counselors. And then there's a few of them that are, even there's one right now, our coordinator grew up in summer camp. And I remember because I was the coordinator back then and he drove me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so he's coordinator this year and the kids can drive him crazy. That's right. Payback. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, do you think, obviously you're doing a huge service to these kids because you know, the environment that they're growing up in is obviously very uncertain. Uh, what kind of impact do you think this whole uh, experience has on their upbringing? Um, I think it gives them just a place where they can be themselves without any of, um, hmm, any of the pressure that they might feel at home. Um, when you come from, I think, two different cultures, you have the pressure of being a Quebecois or a Canadien on one side, and then the pressure from home of keeping your cultural identity. Yeah. And um, that can be very uh, caring for certain kids. So we just give them a spot where they can be themselves. They develop their own what they want and what they want to do. And we encourage them. Uh, once they're older, they can go to our drop-in center and we can help them either go back to school, find a job. Um, do, do you think that, you know, this whole focus and importance on creating this environment for youth engagement, uh, you know, has created kind of like this gateway for these kids to have a better life rather than, you know, taking the wrong turn? And, you know, I mean, we've, we, we all know kids in Park X that, you know, didn't have the the outcome that you know 
probably mm-hmm. everyone hoped for them, right? Exactly. I think so. And uh, I'm, I can just tell you countless stories of people that have gone through our programs and now are business consultants or work for the government. And it's them. They come back and say, hey, you change. Well, not me personally, but like yeah. the organization, it, it gave me a, a chance, like the self-worth that I needed to turn around and make the right choices and choose differently than some of my friends did and to go on and bigger and better things. I had met a bunch of them when, uh, I think it was in uh, in 2017 when you celebrated your... Um, yeah, the 50th. The 50th. Yeah. Uh, and there was a lot of people there, uh, you know, and we, you know, I, I, I talked to a, f- to a few of them and, you know, a lot of them told me, you know, I, like you said, you know, I started, I was a little kid and, you know, another one said, you know, I was in the hockey teams, another one, you know, in the, in the soccer teams. Uh, and it's funny how this organization has taken such a central place in this district. It's as if, I don't want to say everything revolves around PYO, but almost, I mean, you have branched out in every single uh, in every single aspect of you know the social life, whether it's in education, whether it's in leisure, whether it's in you know the summer camp programs, uh, whether it's in you know the food baskets, which we're going to talk about. Uh, also, uh, you, you're so involved in everyone's daily lives that it's almost impossible to be in Park X and not know about PYO. Um. Definitely. I think a lot of people receive services and might not even know that it's from PYO. Right. Um, sometimes because um, our best source of publicity is the fact that the people that work for the organization, well, at least most of them, and the kids that come here, they go out in the community and they... Well, they, yeah, they, they, they yeah. become like your ambassadors, right? I mean, exactly. you, you have people just talking about PYO and park extension in all corners of, you know, the province, basically. Hey, definitely. Uh, we had people that came in from uh, Ontario to see the, uh, one of our things for the 50th was a, a photo gallery. And people came in from Ontario to see this, this wow. photo montage of the organization and he was like that's me in the picture wow and it was and that person's my father and he couldn't come so we're scanning the picture for him and so that he can take it back home and like make it bigger for his father and i i think it's just you grew, people grew up there and they're emotionally attached to the organization i know we work really hard for our staff to become emotionally attached to the organization and just create that milieu de vie where that transcends no matter where you you move to Laval, you move to the South Shore, people still come back and say, like, this is where I grew up. What are some of the challenges that you guys have had uh, in the past years? <laughs> funding. Definitely <laughs> funding. It always comes down to that, right? So dem- demand for programs are huge. Funding is limited. And uh, we're a whole bunch of organizations fighting for a piece of the pie. And um, so that's definitely one of the, um, the challenges. Uh, also keeping more and more, uh, especially we're financed by Centraide. Um, so we're asked to, like an organization has to be run 
as a business. You, you have to have uh, very strong uh, human resource policies. You have to have very strong uh, financial uh, standings and things like that. So definitely that's a challenge. Um, right now, what we're having as a challenge right right now today is that okay we're nonprofit organizations and we never like investing money in stuff that's very costly so my computer at work uh, is ancient yeah and uh, right now with this pandemic we're seeing that well you can't go engage with the kids face to face anymore and we're trying to do it and move online and do certain things online but we just like we're running our organizations off of our phones right now yeah, yeah. because we don't have the technology to do that and we're, yeah. we're trying well, to catch up. at the end of the day everything comes down to revenue right and yeah. uh, you know i remember working with a lot of organizations and that was one of our biggest puzzle you know how do we get organizations to be self-sufficient rather than to be uh, always dependent on getting government grants because you know it's not it's you know it's the funds aren't always recurrent no nope. I mean, Very there are rarely. certain programs. There are certain programs that might uh, be recurrent, but at the end of the day, the bulk of what you get, maybe you won't get it next year. And for different organizations, when when you're so focused every year on getting funds, and your 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 mind is set on that aspect of it, obviously you're not focusing on what the mission should be of the organization, right? So, um, and, and it's a big struggle for a lot of organizations. But I mean, you guys have managed to. I don't want to say to become self-sufficient because obviously you're not. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me about the revenue generating programs that you guys have. Uh, basically that is my responsibility with the, my assistant director is to make sure that the, the financing uh, comes in. So a lot of it is uh, grant writing and what governments offer as different programs and trying to see how you can because you try to always go from what the needs of the part of the residents are and then try to see where I can find a grant or a foundation that would allow me to fund that type of program. Mm -hmm. So I'd say that's about a good 25 hours a week uh, job. So we're, we're very, very lucky. We've managed to diversify greatly our sources of funding. So if one, because it's not recurrent, stops. Well, we have other sources mm -hmm. of funding that kick in. Mm -hmm. And also uh, a big part of the getting funds is developing relationships. So we were very lucky. We developed a, a relationship with Capital One that now has an office in Park X. Yeah, in Park X, yeah. Exactly. So uh, like, I know employees that work there and that work you know, in the, where they give grants and to really develop a relationship with them. They come down, they come see what we're doing. So they can help pack baskets for food baskets. They help fund kids Christmas gifts and things like that and developing those relationships. And so that when they're giving something, they know exactly what they're funding mm -hmm. and, um, so that they feel that they're really taking part in the organization's mission. It's interesting that it's interesting that you're mentioning this because you know we're seeing more and more of a trend where I don't want to say large corporations because we don't have large corporations in Park Eggs, but mm -hmm. even you know big businesses, they are starting more and more to have this social responsibility. 
uh, aspect to these businesses. And we know that park extension is going to change. It's already changed. Like the last 10 years in Park X has been one oh, giant sure. transition um, where, you know, you're going to have much more business settling in. Um, do you think that there's an opportunity for you there to create and further those links with, you know, the business community? I think so. Um, we do. I think that's where we're becoming successful is our relationship with Capital One is very, very solid. But we also developed uh, a very good relationship with uh, Le Restaurant Le Beaumont, which is a subsidiary of Le Toki restaurant. And while they're not funding us, uh, we've developed partnerships in our kitchen program. We, we have a kitchen program that trains people to go become cooks mm-hmm. in uh, eight weeks and uh, they've hired some of the people, the graduates of our program. Uh, they have a chef. They've invited us, us over. They've had a, the chef speak to the, the participants. And um, so maybe it's not money that necessarily that some businesses can give, but there's other types of relationships. We've had, yeah. we've had companies come in and do work. Uh, when we built Exart, we had a company that came in, 20 employees, and they're the ones that painted the walls and assembled Ikea furniture and did the landscaping uh, that we had to do. So definitely you, you have to develop these relationships. Exart is still around? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I remember it was created uh, when, uh, when I was there or it was at the the early stages. Uh, That's an interesting program. Share with, share with everyone listening or watching a little bit about Exart because it's such an amazing program. Okay. So XART is for youth that are 16 and up that are often not part of um, the usual uh, pathway of you go to school, you graduate, and you go to work. So often these people have either dropped out or are trying to find their way in school to find. Um, so this is a place where they can come and there's like two or three different ways that they can integrate the you can just come and hang out at uh, xart so there's pool tables and video games and um that kind of stuff and there's people there uh, there's our workers are there and they're like if you need help writing a cv or you want to talk about something like we're there so sometimes some kids just come in to chill yeah uh, however, they o- they also organize a bunch of structured activities, uh, so they can do hip hop dance. Uh, but it's always fueled by what the youth want. Um, so they have they've created um, they've created a clothing line with recycled material wow. and um, then a fashion show and different hip hop and spoken word. Uh, workshops so they do that and we, do, we also have a very strong employability program in there so it's anything from i need to find work uh, i need my cv to be written i want to practice uh, interview skills um, so things like that so. uh, uh, where do those kids turn up what do you mean where, like, where, where do they end up after that i mean do they do do most of them end up actually finding a job or doing something productive? Uh, like, um, where do they go from that program? Like from, from, you know, from the beginning, since you guys created it, I mean, what, yeah. what's, the, what's the outcome? What are the results? Uh, a lot of them do find jobs. Um, sometimes they're not 
typical uh, jobs are some of them that have gone off and created their own companies and uh, or become dance instructors and, and things like that. So uh, one of the important things that we do is that showing is like not everybody is going to graduate from university or CEGEP and just go straight to work. Mm-hmm. Some people develop their own little companies and haven't finished university and move on and do fantastic things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's... It's just showing all the possibilities than just the straight, you go to school, you graduate. Oh, no, no, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, there, there, there's a growing trend, uh, you know, with different organizations. I don't want to say they're questioning the education, but they've understood that perhaps that traditional path isn't isn't a fit for everyone. And it definitely have, isn't. And, you no. know, of course not. We, we know that. I mean, you see it. It's just that, and you know, kids for, for decades have been forced to follow a path that they just couldn't adapt to and they ended up doing nothing uh whereas had you uh had, had someone or some organization been there to take the child or the teenager and just push him or her towards something that they uh enjoy and that they feel comfortable in that they they, they have a passion for uh, you know the, the the doors that can open are 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 tremendous, uh, and you know now you, you know we're seeing more and more uh, the alternative schools that are coming into place now, where they're focusing more on the kids' interest rather than uh, than uh, than the than the traditional you know education material that has been yeah. taught, right? Uh, so how many how many kids usually come in the, in in a year through that? Uh, XR XART usually has about fifty kids that go through a day. Wow. That, that, they, that drop in every day. They mostly live in Park X? Most of them, yeah. There's a few that come from Saint-Michel and uh, well, right. there, but uh, most of them are Park Xers. Is there still a reality in Park X where, you know, there's, you know, that whole aspect of, you know, the marginalized society? Obviously, there's a lot of poverty. Um, do you see any change or is Park Extension going to remain, like, forever that district where people just get their start, you know, and it's tough and it's like an uphill climb and, you know, the kids are underprivileged uh, financially, obviously. Um, I think that changed drastically already uh, 10 years ago with uh, the University of Montreal that's decided to open a campus. And um, in the past, Park X was a place you, you arrived, you stayed up to five years and you moved on to some, some something else um so 50 percent of the population would change every every five years uh i think right now with everything that's going on in uh, the plateau and everything uh, with the, the university campus we're seeing an influx of people in park x that are not um that are financially well off and that's starting to change the what park x looks like mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I worked in summer camp, I, there was one French name. There was one kid out of all the 300 kids, there was one French name and his name was René and he was the only kid that had that type of name. But now you, you see more and more, yeah. um, English speaking and French speaking. You know, moved in. I, you know, I, I lived through these transitions. <clears throat> uh, obviously I grew up when Park X was primarily Greek. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I lived the, the, the early to mid-90s when the Greeks started kind of transitioning away and then you had the South Asians coming in. 
So I, I lived that whole transition. And uh, like you said, about maybe 10 years ago, <clears throat> or maybe you know, five to 10 years ago, we started noticing that that transition happening again where the South Asian communities were now moving out. But weirdly enough, the new wave of people coming in weren't immigrants because that's what Park X was always about. You know, before the Greeks, there was someone else. And before them, there was someone else. It was always these new waves of immigrants coming in. And the fascinating thing about, uh, <coughs> sorry, the fascinating thing about, you know, five, 10 years ago, <coughs> sorry. Okay. <coughs> My saliva kind of went crooked. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So the fascinating thing about this new transition five, 10 years ago is that it wasn't a, a wave of immigrants. It was like you said, young professionals, um, students, uh, young entrepreneurs, young families. And I have a feeling that that's going to stay. I don't know. Oh, if it's gonna, yeah. I don't know if there's going to be another transition. I I think right now Park X is going to become the next trendy place to live in, in Montreal. So I still think you're going to, we're going to have a mix of uh, these uh, newly arrived people that, that are coming into Park X and uh, still some immigrant families because this is where immigrant families, when they come, this is where their temples are or their mosques are, yeah. their churches are. And you can just see that from the Greeks. Why are they so attached to Park X? Yes, they grew up there, but that's where their churches are and their bakeries are. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think Park X is going to have, it's still going to see an influx of new people. And you can see that in uh, buildings being bought and renovated and becoming condos. But um, uh, I think we're going to have that mix uh, for a bit, at least still because of, the makeup of parking. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the reality because we were talking about, you know, just while we're preparing for this, uh, for the podcast, uh, you were telling me that uh, you're obviously you're very much involved in what's happening now with this whole pandemic. I've been following you guys almost from the very beginning. What a, what a, what a crazy time to, to be living in. Yeah. It's hard to imagine that this is where we're at. I think, uh, when this, like we started hearing about this in February, yeah. you're just yeah. like, whatever. And then I think it was right after we had winter camp that all of a sudden, like it was like nonstop. And I remember the day uh, Mr. Legault announced that basically we were going to be shutting down. I was watching the news and I had my phone on and I had forgotten to take off uh, the Facebook notifications of work on my phone <laughs> and um this this man that's on our meals on wheels program basically wrote in and just basically said what am i supposed to do now i can't go out i'm ill i i, I don't want to subject myself to to going to these stores right now how am i supposed to feed myself yeah and it was heartbreaking and i remember t like we kind of texted back and forth a bit and I was I remember telling this man as long as I am allowed in our building like we will continue offering our meals on wheels program right and usually in the past we we've only done it two days a week because another organization would do it the three other days 
and uh, that organization, which is um, mostly run by older volunteers, were probably, they had to shut down. So I was like, well, we're going to do it seven days a week. So our Meals on Wheels, we will deliver food. You will have food, a meal every day. And then also what ended up happening is that I have this kitchen. I have, uh, it was stocked full of food because we're offering food to different schools and our community cafeteria, our catering service. And I have a truck that can deliver meals, uh, meals on wheels. And uh, there was a resource action alimentation, which is our next door neighbor in our building that uh, also wanted to start offering food baskets to the, to the residents. Cause a lot of them were calling in like, I, I've lost my job. I don't have anything to feed my family. So we basically partnered up. And today we are delivering our 1,000 food basket. In wow. Yeah. Wow. So we've been at it nonstop since March 15th, I think. Wow. Nonstop, yeah. 1,000 food baskets delivered, and we do about between 50 and 60 meals on wheels a day. Right. Have you kept uh, – this is what you used to do before? No. Uh, we did Meals on Wheels before, but as I said, two days a week. What was the number? Help... Was, were you at 50, 60 meals when you, when you did them? Or... No, 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 definitely not. Wow. We maybe had 20. It just did. Right. Everybody needs help right now. Absolutely. And people reach out? Definitely. We have a social media that helps us to reach out. Um, also, the fact that the truck goes around and we have our our logo on it with our phone number i think that's gotten some uh elderly people to call in that aren't necessarily on social media yeah word of mouth plays a big uh, uh a big uh, spot too in getting the word out because some of these families aren't technologically connected oh absolutely so. yeah you know the, the, there's something good that always comes out of every situation right and the wave of solidarity that i've seen in in these circumstances is phenomenal uh, and of course you're not the only one uh you know providing help uh nope. during this pandemic but in such a fragile area in montreal where people already are economically challenged whether it's a pandemic or not you know i mean park x is still considered um you know uh, of, you know, an underprivileged uh, district across Canada, the fact that there's something like this that exists. When I saw this on Facebook, I was like, God, thank God. I mean, this is such a good piece of news that I, that I heard, you know? Um, and, and it was amazing. The fact that you, you started working with these other organizations as well, you know, just combined all your efforts together. And uh, how are the people doing though? In part, see, th- th- for me, the problem because I obviously I follow the news almost every single day, and I've even said this in previous podcasts. It, I have an issue with the fact that from the and I don't want you to get in, uh, to, to, to start commenting politics here, but mm-hmm. the issue that I have is that from almost the very beginning, we knew that Montreal was kind of being secluded, right? I mean, we 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 kind of paused everything happening in the regions because obviously the medical research resources aren't as they are in Montreal but by doing so you're 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 obviously pinpointing Montreal as as a as a huge case of uh, of covid-19 and 
from the very beginning, you know, they started hinting at districts like Park Extension, St. Michel, Montreal North, Côte de Neige uh, as potential hotspots. And it's only until this week that they brought the public testing sites. And, you yeah. know, of course, that's none of your it's none of your business, it's not your responsibility what the government does. But it's frustrating because you're seeing this firsthand. I mean, you're there, you're on the ground, you're seeing, I mean, you guys are putting your, your life at risk going into these houses, or I don't know exactly how you're doing it, but, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're constantly in contact with people that may or may, may not, but very likely have uh, the virus. I mean, it's, it's one, it's probably, it's one of the biggest hotspots in, in Montreal. Uh, and it, it's just frustrating that it's taken so little time for help to come from above while the help from ground up has been there from like minute one. Yes. Um, I think when you look at the hotspots in Montreal, it's all these districts that are in a certain way disadvantaged. Yeah. And uh, I think what this pandemic is doing is bringing, bringing to the forefront everything that nonprofit organizations have been saying for many years. Uh, we have, a lot of families crammed into small apartments that aren't necessarily uh, hygienic. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we have families that we cannot reach because we do not have the language skills or they're not technologically connected. These people don't necessarily watch uh, Canadian or Quebec news. Yeah. Uh, so getting the word out in ParkX is important. And then while working so we're driving around delivering meals and you see the buses arrive to pick up uh workers and they're crammed 60 in a small yellow bus and you're like this is going to like when it starts it's going to go yeah and it's going to be like a wildfire and you see even yesterday i was i actually volunteered at um at the testing site and um we're not getting to everybody uh, people weren't going no there's no they did a record amount of tests okay but are they reaching the right people yeah. or are we just reaching the people that like consult the news and hear on right. social media right. that the testing sites are going to be there well what so, role did the other community leaders have in this i mean was there any outreach to them <laughs> We tried so hard. The thing is, is that we found out maybe Thursday that this was going to happen. But they only settled on where this testing site was going to be on Friday. And it was on Monday that the testing began. So by the time you translate, because like, yeah, we we were ready to paper the neighborhood in different languages, what was going to go on. um, But, it was decided just so last second yeah. that um, it was just not possible to get it out. Good news is, is that we, are, we hear that it's going to come back in Park X and that hopefully they're going to come on a weekend where you can get some workers because 10 yeah. to 4 isn't a realistic testing yeah. time. So. And the truth is that a lot of the, you know, a lot of the residents living in these, uh, in these districts that are hotspots, they are in most cases doing whatever essential work needs to be done now. They're caregivers or they work in uh, hospitals, they're cleaners, they're, you know, they're people that are out there. I mean, it's not people that, 
that are closed in and they're just waiting for this to pass, right? So yeah. these are the people that occupy the jobs that are, you know, considered the dangerous jobs now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, like you said, I mean, there, there, it, Park Extension is just one district that is crammed with apartment buildings people within the apartments are crammed you know there's like one or two families living together uh, I, I don't know i mean you you you're living this much much closer than than i am obviously uh, i mean i still have family in park extension and they're not moving but is it is it quieting down a little bit i mean are you seeing any progress or is it still pretty much like it was from day one um, I think you see a bit, uh, you see two realities in Park X. You see either people that are like, you know what, I have to work and I have to go out there and I have to face this every day. Uh, so that's what I'm going to do. And then you see families that are like bunkered in there <laughs> and will not leave the house. The kids haven't even cracked a window because they're just so afraid. Mm-hmm. And then when you're discussing with these families, like, okay, now you have your food basket so you're set there what else do you need and they're like well my kids don't have toys Mm. so trying to get them ways to to amuse themselves because there's no way they're going to let them out in the parks so you have these two realities in park x either like terribly afraid or people that like you know what i just got to get stuff done because i have a family to feed what about, um, you know, and I know that you guys don't really deal with social services, but there are uh, a lot of people in Park Extension that suffer from, you know, a variety of, uh, of health issues, notably, you know, mental illness. Um, you know, there's all these things. And, you know, I, we worked with organizations that dealt with, um, with battered women, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how are we dealing with this right now? Um, we're, we're doing a lot of phone calls with Ressourcation Alimentation. Uh, we call the families, see how they're doing, especially if we see a change in their schedule or how we see them interacting with us. We'll give them a call and we'll try to refer to different services. Um, for the violence towards women or to children, I was actually discussing with uh, um, one of one of the active police officers yesterday, and she said that there was not a uptake of calls of, of family violence. And I was a bit surprised. Mm, yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see how things play out once uh, people are coming back out to get yeah. services. But like, if you're in a house, and yeah, you're, you're not going to call, you're not going to call. Yeah. So you're depending on your neighbors to call if they hear something. Right. So I'm, um, I, yeah, I would question it's that also. Scary. It's scary. Um, we're going to close it up. I know that you're very busy. Tell me uh, going forward, uh, what are you guys planning? I know that you were saying that, you know, this whole reality has changed a lot in the way that you think of the ways that you're going to, uh, you know, work going forward. But what What's in the, you know, what's on the horizon now going forward for PYU? Um. We're working two different things right now. Um, We're working on how we are going to reopen services. Um, Just like for summer camp, I just got uh, the plan that we need to follow to be able to reopen summer camp on June 22nd. So I have maybe a month to put that in place. And that's happening? 
So far, okay. So far, I was told that it's happy. Of course, it can change tomorrow, right? And then they can say no yeah. summer camp is off, and then then it's back on, and then, who knows? Yeah. But we, I have to start planning now. Uh, summer camp is not going to be like it was before. Uh, the the ratios are going to change drastically, and you're going to have to keep this distance. And there's not going to be uh, outings and things like that. So it's going to be a whole new reality there. And also, uh, I think we all learned now that we have to start moving um, certain services to be online also. And that poses a huge obstacle for certain families. And um, we're going to have to be very creative in reaching the families that don't have internet connection at home and uh, a computer at home to still be able to offer quality services to them, but through ways that they can participate too. Yeah. So like one of the programs that we're doing right now is that our art, uh, it's based on art therapy um, way of working with kids is that we created these packets of a whole bunch of different ways to get the kids to express how they feel about COVID-19 because they, they have a lot of questions and, they're living these uncertain times. They can't socialize. They can't go see their friends. And that brings up a lot of feelings in them. And often well, it's hard to get them to speak about this. So we have a bunch of activities that are made. It's like you have Play-Doh or you draw or you paint something. So right now your, your house is your superhero. Um, so draw us your house yeah. as a superhero. And we're going to have our therapists that are going to call the kids and their parents to follow up to just see, like, is everybody okay? Or if you see something, like a child that's not adjusting well and be able to refer them to services. And that would be great to do on Zoom because you can reach a whole bunch of kids really, really fast if they can all connect. But there's still going to be those phone calls to these families one on one because you, you can't reach everybody on Zoom and mm -hmm. Google Meets and things. Yeah. So. Um, in terms of your, um, in terms of other services, in terms of funding, I mean, you know, obviously things are going to change now. Are you guys putting a plan in, in place for uh, for the months or the years coming? Um, right now, we're, we've been very lucky with funding. Uh, Centraide, the city of Montreal, and different levels of government have definitely um, come in and been able to give money to organizations very, very quickly. Uh, but now, as we see this, it's going to last. At one point, uh, the money's not going to flow in as easily. So it's it's going to be to relook at your, your, your business model and how am I going to sustain this through a long period of time uh, as I said our kitchen service was our way of, of getting our own money yeah. to be able to invest in the groups so like a cafeteria style uh, place is probably over catering is probably put at least a big damper on for the next foreseeable future and we were working on opening a community uh, salle de reception okay uh, so we had just finished our business plan for that and we were hoping to reopen uh, to open that in the fall well that's all going to be on hold right now and we're right. going to have to just sit down and figure out how we're going to work out well look i think that uh, an organization like yours has uh, adapted to many other things and they've uh, they've done well 
for many, many decades. I don't think uh, that uh, there's an obstacle that you haven't been able to uh, uh, to overcome. And uh, it's just that, right? It's just a speed bump. And I, I'm yeah. confident that you and and your staff over there are gonna are gonna pull through. Um, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I thank know you. that you're working hard and uh, you're on the ground every single day. I don't know how you do it, uh, but good on you. And uh, congratulations to the entire team over there. And uh, honestly, I'm not saying this just like that, but I do think of you guys <laughs> from the first message that I saw that you were doing the, 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 the deliveries. I was like, God, man, these, these are, these are the, uh, the unsung heroes, you know, uh, and they exist everywhere. And I'm glad that you took the time uh, to do this joint. Thank you so much. And I have to say my staff has really been phenomenal. They're the ones knocking on doors. Like I've done it a few times, but they're really the ones out there and meeting with families and interacting. And I'm, I'm, really proud of them for sure i hope to see you soon in better circumstances obviously hopefully very soon <laughs> all right joanne take care thank you Bye.